Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome. Our team of media bias detectives is hopelessly devoted to you, providing America with an ongoing, ever-flowing cascade of examples of badly disguised campaign advertising they pass off as news. We'll discuss the midterms in a minute. Before I dig in, I just wanted to pass along this little cultural moment. We, um, Mrs. Graham and I, scored free tickets to see the Manassas Ballet on Saturday night. And this was the interesting pre-tippy-toe dance activities. An announcer said, Please rise as the orchestra plays the Ukrainian national anthem. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And the American national anthem. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that makes a little more sense. Good orchestra. They played both anthems well. I've never heard Ukraine's little song, and nobody was singing any lyrics. But it felt like the musical blue and yellow flag on your Twitter account. Now, if you looked at the program for the ballet, it suggested some of the dancers were of Russian or Ukrainian origin. So maybe they just wanted to signal to you, don't stop coming to the ballet because Putin. Anyway, let's look at the Sunday shows. As the uh, midterms arrive, we're in early voting season, people. On ABC's This Week, with George Snuffleupagus, Stephanopoulos, not Papadopoulos. Now, midway, they started talking about defund the police. Now, you know when they start doing this, it's all about Democrats weren't really serious about that, guys. Come on. Yes, Pierre Thomas reports on the reality behind police department budgets, an ABC News investigation conducted with our own stations. The reality. The reality is we didn't fund we didn't defund the police. Well, the reality is also you talked a ton about it. You painted it on the street. So uh, yes, Pierre Thomas came on and started talking about how conservatives are saying there's rising crime because of cutting police budgets. But defunding never happened. Some conservatives are suggesting rising crime rates are the result of cutting police budgets. But our ABC-owned television stations analyzed budgets for more than 100 police agencies and found defunding never happened in most cities. I think that defunding the police has been, at least the terminology, has been so shocking to so many people because I don't think that they necessarily understand the nuances of it. In 83% of the budgets we reviewed, funding actually increased by at least 2% between 2019 and 2022. So here it is. ABC looks like they're devoting their investigative resources to shoring up the Democrats as usual, saying there's been no defunding. That fad has passed. But this sort of papers over what actually happened over the last three years. Cities moved to cut budgets and then crime rose. Let's just look at Minneapolis, which was ground zero for defund the police. Since that's where George Floyd died in police custody, ABCNews.com reported in December of 2020 
Minneapolis City Council approves police budget cuts seven months after George Floyd's death. They cut the budget. Naturally, at the time, they were claimed they were merely shifting resources to social work. Ah, but then, a year later, at the end of 2021, the local Democrat rag, the Minneapolis Star Tribune, reported Mayor Jacob Fry and the city council last week agreed to a $1.6 billion budget that includes just over $191 million for the police department, restoring its funding to nearly the level it had before George Floyd was killed in 2020. So they moved to cut the budget, then crime went up, so they moved to put the budget back in, and now Pierre Thomas parachutes in and says, there was never a defunding. Conservatives are misleading you. No. We just know that then we had a vote in 2020. And, you know, Congresswomen like Abigail Spanberger were complaining loudly to Nancy Pelosi that that defund the police junk almost got her beat in Virginia. Yes, that's a raging battle here in Virginia, by the way. Abigail Spanberger, the Republicans airing a pile of ads where they put Abigail Spanberger in Nancy Pelosi's clothes, which is awesome. It's, it's enjoyable. And then on the other side is Yesley Vega, Latina, cop. Uh, and of course, uh, if you listen to Abigail Spanberger's ads, she's so su- super anti-abortion. Oh, it's scary. She doesn't want an abortion after a rape. Some woman comes on and said, I was raped. Yes, Lee Vega thinks I shouldn't have had an abortion. I mean, this is the way that people campaign. And they find those extreme examples and somehow suggest the Republicans are extreme on abortion. And they never know. Well, yeah, Abigail Spanberger is in the Ralph Northam camp, which is an abortion at any time, even after, oops, abortion failed, the child was born. Well, we would still like to make the child comfortable. Let the parents decide. Oh, but somehow that's not extreme. Anyway, this defunding the police picture combined with the increase in crime, it leaves out the whole point of what all of this liberal media and liberal entertainment media trashing the cops, what that has happened. Okay, Uh, CNN.com reported just last month in September, going back to Minneapolis, Citing sinking morale in the wake of the unrest after Floyd's killing. Oh, it's merely unrest. It's not rioting and looting. Leaders at the Minneapolis Police Department say the officer headcount has shrunk from 900 in early 2020 to about 560 in August, a loss of more than a third of the force. See, Pierre Thomas didn't have any of these nuances in the ABC report. They're lecturing the conservatives because they, they're not nuanced when they discuss defunding the police. Yes, the fact of the matter is, yes, the Republican appeal is they don't like the cops. They think the cops are a bunch of racist killers. That is clearly the notion we got from the Democrats and the media in 2020. And now they're upset that somehow the Democrats are unpopular. ABC News doesn't want you to really focus on the idea that there's major crime and murders in cities run by Democrats that have been run by Democrats for decades. Well, that's not their fault. Yes, Pierre Thomas wanted to say people need to see that police budgets were shifted 
to social services. And somehow that's not defunding, it's merely redirecting. And defunding often means different things for different departments. In some cities, funding was shifted to different areas of the police department or to social services, not reduced. But some candidates are hyper-focused on appearing tough on crime and supporting police officers. In Texas, Governor Greg Abbott is promising to protect law enforcement budgets if he's re-elected. I support our law enforcement by ensuring that they are fully funded. When we looked at the numbers across Texas, we found all but one of the departments saw budget increases over the last few years. For conservatives, what's funny about this line, about this ABC messaging is, you know, Social Security and Medicare increase year after year after year. And that's never stopped the media and their Democrat pals from suggesting the Republicans are either going to cut Medicare and Social Security or they have. You know, back in the 90s, we were doing this. That we, there were literally hundreds of examples where ABC and the other networks were saying that Gingrich and the Republicans were pushing Medicare cuts. And, of course, what it was was cuts in the elaborate targets of growth that the Democrats established in their budget baseline. But that's, this is the way the game was played, was to somehow suggest the Republicans hated senior citizens and didn't want them to have health care. Does that do I sound like Carvel now? You don't want the, the older people to have health care. So I mean, the idea that Pierre Thomas now is going to lecture us that oh, actually the police spending wasn't cut. Well, this is what you guys do with entitlements. You're constantly suggesting, and there's there's still some of this. Rick Scott wants to cut Social Security and Medicare. I think what Rick Scott said was. I would like to have these programs reevaluated and not automatically increase. And the Democrats turn that into, you know, he hates senior citizens. Because their whole line is, no, 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 we want spending to increase automatically because that's the way we do things. One more note on the Pierre Thomas report. He ended the story with an expert, a professor, Rashawn Ray of the University of Maryland and the Brookings Institution. Uh... Ray said the connection between police funding and crime rates is based on more on perception than data. Oh, that sounds very academic. Well, uh, Ray then said part of the reason the defund police narrative has stayed around is because police officers say it and elected officials say it and people believe and trust them. So he's basically saying this whole thing's a phony narrative. And Pierre Thomas isn't going to say, well, what do you blame the increase in urban crime on, professor? No, he's there to establish the Democrat talking point. And they picked the right guy. Rashawn Ray, you can look at his Twitter, you find very quickly, he's a fan of Dr. Ibram X. Candy. So he's a critical race theory guy, another one of those professors. And he wrote an article on the Brookings website, posted on October 12, with this provocative title. Black Lives Matter at 10 years. Eight ways the movement has been highly effective. So Pierre Thomas is going to sociologists who love Black Lives Matter and saying, well, they think you're, the conservatives are wrong on defund the police. Yeah, and he's a big fan of the police defunders. Black Lives Matter, defund the police and give the money to us so we can buy a mansion. Meanwhile, over on NBC's Meet the Press, 
They had a pundit roundtable with Voto Latino director Marisa. Oh, sorry, I'm going to start over, bud. Meanwhile, over on NBC's Meet the Press, Chuck Todd had organized his usual loaded pundit roundup. Here we are, four liberals and one Republican. And one of those liberals was Voto Latino director Maria Teresa Kumar. She was claiming Biden's troubles are merely communications problems. Oh, yes. When liberals can't say out loud, hey, our policies are failing, it's, oh, well, it's, it's all communications. Yeah, you're saying this on a network that is constantly trying to help Biden communicate. But Kumar had to say, you see, Biden is a serious policy president, unlike Trump, who's just a thug. I also think that with the, the, with Biden, his challenge is that he hasn't been able to communicate to the American people what he's done. I mean, we can say that the difference between Donald Trump and the difference within Biden is Biden is a policy president. So he has he's going to make oh. fundamental changes for a generation. And we're talking about student loan relief. We're talking about bringing back manufacturing and the list goes on. But the difference with with Trump is that his consequence is not policy. It's his legacy of undermining elections. At least Republican Pat McCrory was there to say Biden can't show his face out there with most Democrats in the campaign trail with stocks tanking and the price of eggs being historically high. He's from North Carolina. And then Chuck Todd sought to rebut him with, hey, Obama's still popular on the hustings. Okay, Chuck, but answer me this. Did that work in 2010? When Obama was in demand on the trail, Chuck, did that work? Did it work in 2014? Obama took it on the chin in the midterms. Just because he's popular among Democrats doesn't mean he's going to win them elections. But everything right now is talking around it and past it about what Democrats are expecting from the poll numbers we're all looking at right now. For Democrats, it's going to be bad, 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 seriously bad. Now, earlier in the show... Chuck Todd had a segment about polarization, and he said, here's a number that should really be a bit disturbing to folks. Believe it or not, 44 states have voted for the same party for president in five of the last six elections. The obvious newsbusters rejoinder is, consider this, Chuck. The vast majority of NBC News employees have voted for the same party for president in six of the last six elections. Who is NBC News to talk about how some of these states disturbingly vote the same way all the time? So does the media, pal. And if they're not voting that way at the polls, they're certainly voting that way at the office. It's just weird for liberal media people to bemoan polarized politics. I mean, what they're really saying is, we don't really like you criticizing Biden. Biden's the unity president. They don't tolerate conservatives and Republicans in their own newsrooms. It's like 99% Democrats. And their idea of diversity is, well, we have black Democrats and Latinx Democrats, gay Democrats, straight Democrats, Filipino Democrats, and some white Democrats from balance. That's somehow diversity, but it's still, it's a pile of Democrats. So when you're in election season, Everybody might have some differing opinions on how the Democrats win, but they all want Democrats to win. So how do these people get to lecture us about America polarizing? 
These people spent the entire Trump era constantly polarizing, perennially dividing, eternally erupting against the Republicans and Trump. They're still equating Republicans with the end of democracy. That's not divisive. It's not polarizing to say, vote for the other guy and tyranny is coming. I think the question we really ought to ask, you know, they did this, Dana Bash on CNN Sunday show kept pressing her on whether she was going to accept the election results if she loses in Arizona. And, the, you know, the idea here is we're just going to f- keep her on defense and keep her on defense. Do you think that they, Dana Bash asked Stacey Abrams? Maybe she did. Did you? Are you going to deny? If you lose, are you going to deny the results? I think we can ask ourselves at this point, here's the interesting question. We're a couple of weeks away from an answer. Will the media accept the results of these elections if Republicans win? I think the answer is they might accept that the results are real, but they're going to go back to Peter Jennings mode. The American people had a temper tantrum last week. They're all like two-year-olds who need diaper training. They get really mad when Democrats lose, and they, they, they just can't take it. Um, and so this, this is kind of funny. Uh, so now speaking of phony appeals to unity, and hey, it's natural that backers of Joe Biden are routinely making phony appeals to unity. It's kind of what they all do. We turn to CBS News Sunday morning. That's supposed to be a calm program. It's not seen as a thunderbolt program. Sometimes that's wrong. So they had a big segment on talk radio. Jane Pauley was out for some reason. Ted Koppel in the chair. He began a segment by saying, tens of millions of Americans get their political marching orders from the radio. Now, how insulting is that? How divisive is that? This, to me, sounds like frustrated liberals that their marching orders aren't being followed. This is the way we hear it. This is the CBS Evening News marching orders with General Dan Rather. Fall in line. This line is coming from Ted Koppel, who was almost religiously devoted to promoting the disinformation that Ronald Reagan somehow delayed the release of the American hostages in Iran in 1980 to defeat Jimmy Carter. Hey, Ted Koppel, Jimmy Carter sucked as a president. Get over it. I'm sorry. Is that too harsh? Can we speak ill of Jimmy Carter? Are we not supposed to be mean to people who are nearing 100 years old? The reporter that CBS used was Jim Axelrod. And he said, 35 years after the talk radio revolution, on the air is still often an exercise in off the rails. Yes, this is supposed to be cute. It's from the Dan Rather channel. They somehow never went off the rails into fake news. They never polarized anybody on CBS. So uh, for this segment, they run clips of Dana Lash and Dan Bongino talking about budding dictators. This is apparently not allowed when Democrats are in power. 
as if this wasn't their constant Donald Trump messaging, budding dictator. It's still their messaging. Then comes the usual crankiness about how Team Reagan repealed the Fairness Doctrine of the Federal Communications Commission as if there was anything resembling fairness on television or radio at that point. I dare these people to go back to 1984 or 1985 or 1986 and provide me an example where the FCC really made a difference in how Ronald Reagan was covered. You know, I'm sure that the FCC could have intimidated people into being more behaved on fairness. But it was kind of a dead letter. It was there on paper, but it suggested, you know, oh, both sides of controversial issues should be issued. Is that what we got from Dan Rather? I don't think so. Sometimes I would say it made as much of an impact as the Public Broadcasting Act of 1967 because buried in that authorizing legislation is the idea that public broadcasting should have objectivity and balance in all programming of a controversial nature. That is, you know, that carries about as much legislative weight as saying you're not allowed to march circus elephants down the street at midnight. I mean, nobody observes the letters of this this language at all. The way they've used the Public Broadcasting Act is to say, we need a firewall between public broadcasting's propagandistic content and any nosy members of Congress who want to object. That's the way it really works. I think we all understand the timing of this. Usually the liberals come out and start complaining and whining about the fairness doctrine being overturned in 1987 because soon after that Rush Limbaugh ascended in talk radio he went national in 1989 the CBS expert here is a man named Brian Rosenwald whose book attacking talk radio contains dust cover blurbs from John Dickerson of CBS imagine that also CNN's Michael Smirkanish who has a fetish for moderation, but he's on CNN, so so much for that. And, of course, Eric Alterman, the socialist crank who wrote an unintentional humor book titled, What Liberal Media? (laughs) Huh? Who said there was a liberal media? I refuse to admit it. Notice that Axelrod can say that there's somehow this chunk of misled Americans who think the dominant media has a liberal bias, that question is not addressed. No, we're told that talk shows that insist the dominant media has a liberal bias are bad for America. Following the repeal of the Fairness Doctrine in 1987, broadcasters were no longer required to present both sides of controversial political issues. There's simply no way Joe Biden was legitimately elected president. Which ushered in Rush Limbaugh's polarizing and immensely popular style that attracted 15 million listeners a week who felt dominant media outlets had a liberal bias. And I think over that long span, it has unquestionably divided Americans. It has unquestionably hardened our politics. If Democrats can't rob you, the next best thing is to convince you that you are being robbed. And how is that good for America? It's not. It's bad for America. 
Then on the CBS story came Michael Harrison of the so-called Talk Radio Bible, Talkers Magazine. He proclaimed, if we could have on the liberal side what we have on the conservative side, the talk radio industry would be better, free speech would be better served, and the nation would be better served. This is a phony argument. Liberal talk radio has been tried. It's still being tried today. They show little snippets at the opening of this CBS segment. They show you photographs of Tom Hartman, of Randy Rhodes, of Stephanie Miller. These are all the sort of the liberal media attempts for popular hosts in the 90s or the 2000s. In 2004, Air America got a huge boost from the liberal media, big splashy spread in Newsweek magazine, for example. And all the liberals really got out of that was Senator Grabby L. Franken and that alleged national treasure, Rachel Maddow. Then CBS wondered why there was no liberal Limbaugh, which skips over the fact that all of these hosts flunked in their attempts to be Limbaugh. It's not that liberals haven't mounted a counterattack. They just chose another battlefield. So why is there never a liberal Rush Limbaugh? Well, I, I think they've gone into other areas. I think Jon Stewart has been every bit of a trailblazer as Rush Limbaugh was. And he happened to colonize late night comedy. You know, Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Kimmel, most of the late night comics lean left at this point. So Which is why more than three decades after Limbaugh weaponized talk radio for the right, liberals remained outmanned and outgunned. On the list of Talkers Magazine top 10 most popular talk radio hosts, all 10 are conservative. Once again, it's amazing that somehow Jon Stewart, Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Kimmel, none of these people are characterized as polarizers, dividers, people who make America worse, people who make America more extreme. I do love the part, CBS admitting that NPR is the liberal part of the dial. Although they didn't seem to get a clue that this is one reason there's no liberal Limbaugh. There's now talk radio shows all over NPR, including one, The Takeaway, that is currently hosted by former MSNBC whack job Melissa Harris-Perry. You remember her, the professor who wore tampon earrings on set and appeared in MSNBC ads saying, your children aren't really your children, they belong to the community. Well, that's a, that a sentiment is still active on the left. The funniest part about all of this is that they have this B-roll of welcome to all things considered, and it looks like Linda Wertheimer is there in the anchor chair. Do you know how long it's been since Linda Wertheimer was the co-anchor of all things considered. 2002. She's been gone for 20 years as an anchor. That's how old the video clip was. I'm going to guess this is from them uh, doing some pro-NPR segment in the 90s to fight against Newt Gingrich and Rush Limbaugh. Anyway, let's just conclude on this point. This program, CBS Sunday Morning may have the branding of being quiet and contemplative with hosts like Charles Kuralt and Charles Osgood and now Jane Pauley. It's sort of pitched as an NPR-style sort of program. 
It's complete with quiet videos of babbling brooks so we can all stay calm. But that's not always the case. This program, CBS Sunday Morning, has uncorked some wild-eyed crackpot commentary. Seasoned citizens at Newsbusters can recall the tenure of TV critic John Leonard, who could be mistaken by some as a serious man. We put this little lecture in notable quotables under the headline, Pol Pot, Gingrich, What's the Difference? From Sunday morning, January 8, 1995. From the pronunciamentos out of Washington, you'd think the new Congress were a slash-and-burn Khmer Rouge, determined to rid Phnom Penh of every member of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, every painter who ever got a dime out of the National Endowment for the Arts, every child who was ever difficult, and other inconvenient codependents who ought instead to be growing rice and eating fish paste in the boondocks. That was John Leonard. He always had very colorful crackpot terminology. Welcome to the new Republican majority. It's a slash and burn Khmer Rouge. The younger people are going, what? What is that analogy? Oh, the Khmer Rouge killed millions and millions of people and piled their skulls because they were the slightest bit anti-communist? The Khmer Rouge who killed people who wore glasses because clearly they were a danger to the Republic if they were smart? Yeah, that's, that's the game CBS was playing here. We're going to compare Newt Gingrich to mass murderers, and then we're going to lecture you that talk radio is too polarizing. Or try CBS Sunday Morning commentator Nancy Giles in September of 2005 ripping President George W. Bush. No Donald Trump, that guy. Ripping George W. Bush on Hurricane Katrina. If the majority of the hardest hit victims of Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans were white people, they would not have gone for days without food and water, forcing many to steal for mere survival. Their bodies would not have been left to float in putrid water. They would have been rescued and relocated a hell of a lot faster than this, period. I mean, reporters and crews are getting to stranded people and government and military agencies can't? Why not the networks run FEMA? We've repeatedly given tax cuts to the wealthiest and left our most vulnerable American citizens to basically fend for themselves. This is a storm that's going to require immediate action now. I'm Once again, a day late and a dollar short. So we are not accepting the idea that CBS Sunday Morning gets to lecture us about civility, about polarization. Liberal media outlets are upset that talk radio exists and they refuse to accept the idea they are just as nasty as talk radio, as the way they hear talk radio. Conservatives hear them and say, you're just as nasty. You're willing to describe the conservatives and the Republicans as tyrants, as racists, you know, to mass murderers. So maybe when it comes to civility, you should just shut up and sit down. So to keep track, you know, the way we keep track on a Sunday, Kevin Tober at the controls, Brent Baker tweeting out video. We're all over Sunday here at Newsbusters, and that's why you come once, twice, 24 times a day. 
Thanks for listening.